You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back into the portal, your gateway to the bazaar. How yes, are we doing indeed. today, Andrew? Oh, yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> gateway to the bazaar, indeed. It's, uh, yeah, welcome back, everybody, to a Saturday edition of Film Friday this week. <laughs> Cinema Saturday. Cinema like Saturday. Cool. That's right. Hey, I, I totally forgot about that term. Yeah. <laughs> it is a, cl- you know what, though? I'm going to go ahead and say it now. This is a classic. It's a classic Film Friday because we're, we're definitely keeping the spooky vibes rolling as we usually do with these movies, but definitely... A film associated with Halloween, but it's one that we had actually never, ever seen before, which is kind of crazy. So I think horror movie buffs out there might be banging their heads against the wall, the, the wall at us a little bit with this. Mm, yeah. So what are we getting into today? Amber? Well, we are tackling the original Hellraiser movie from 1987. <laughs> this was actually, interestingly, the directorial debut for Clive Barker, which yeah. is kind of a household name as far as directors go even though he is kind of on the fringes as yeah. far as like you know like mainstream cinema at least I, the horror movie community will definitely obviously knows but yeah. yeah yeah and our listeners if they've listened to all of our film fridays will know him from nightbreed which we covered uh, quite a while ago now yeah i think it was like last halloween maybe even around that time mm-hmm. that was a fun that. one though i really enjoyed that. it mm-hmm. and he's also known for the Candyman series so he's He's dipped his toes in the horror genre more than a few times, and this this series in particular, it's it's described mostly as like you know generically as a British supernatural horror flick, but uh, it's dealing with all sorts of really interesting things, and it makes for an incredible series. And he's kind of fleshed that out over ten films, Ooh, fleshed that enough. out, eh? mm-hmm. <laughs> like my little. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, no, this is interesting because we're dealing with all sorts of things like interdimensional worlds, uh, demons like springing up from the underworld, some interfamilial drama as well, and some sexual tensions. Oh, indeed. Yes. (laughs) It makes for a a great experience, in in my opinion, I I would say. Hey, would I dare to venture on your behalf? Oh, God, you know I like this movie a lot. (laughs) I mean, we we were pretty blown away that there's there's a lot more than just a, a handful of these films there's yeah. like 10 i believe is that that's is, what yeah, yeah there's about 10 and on top of that too there's a series of books there is also comics on it and there's a, a, a extensive merchandise uh, behind it as well and the, the most recent was actually just a couple of years ago the 2018 there was hellraiser judgment released oh sick okay well we'll yeah. have to go back and watch that see that's mm-hmm. the thing it's like we, yeah you say merchandise we've seen i've known of this main character that we'll get into the pinhead character in this film i've known we've known of this since we were little kids like i've seen that in costume shops it was all on the rack there with the freddies and the jasons and and the michael myers of of the film world Mm -hmm. but i never ventured into that 
no. just for whatever because it is so different. It is it's, so different than all these other Halloween yeah. spooky. It's kind of dark. It's even darker. I, I don't even know. Would I, would, would I say that? Like, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. For, for us, it was. And even just the, perhaps it was the imagery alone. And the subject matter is pretty intense, too, if you think about it. There's a lot going on there that's pretty mature. But even more so than, say, like a Friday the 13th, where it is kind of like... Just stab, stab, stab. Like, you're kind of just laughing the whole time. You know right. what I mean? And it's just silly teenagers as opposed to like, you know, this guy with his second wife that's already failing and all this drama and he's just a cuckold and all this stuff but you're right though he is one of the most recognizable horror figures and i was terrified of this movie when i was young because yeah. we lived in the days of going to the movie store and right. you'd see all the covers on the shelves and you you know i really did like to go down the scary movie section and i would see this guy and he really freaked me out so oh, yeah. kind of lived in my nightmares to a certain degree I, I, totally and i same for me too without ever having seen it you know why i think that is why? because we actually see the like the eyes the face it's not just the 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 goalie mask or the you know the michael myers mask or whatever and these massive figures it's like for whatever reason that pale white skin and the the makeup and all everything with that figure it's raw it's out there it's like and and just the all the nails alone it's like what happened to this guy but anyways it all started with i thought this was kind of cool because barker he wrote a novella and that was kind of the inspiration for this whole series and it did kind of translate into a screenplay as well before it was made into a movie and it was titled the hellbound heart yes yes and according to barker he says here is a quote from him uh, the story of hellraiser uh, is based on a novella the hellbound heart the movie is based upon that story but it is quite a distance from it there's been many changes and then it's an original screenplay that he wrote with the intention of making it his directorial debut Lots of revisions, I guess. Yeah, eh? no doubt. And some of them were his, I would imagine. And then a lot of them were actually coming from like censorship boards. So we'll get into that with like the fun facts and stuff because there's quite a bit <laughs> cut out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another pun there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're all about them so far. Oh, man. I got the the, the, the tallies at two so far, people. Keep count yeah. with me listening. Uh, I was kind of thankful, though, like like most horror movies of the genre, like or sorry, of this time period, I feel like in the 80s, it's kind of like simplified. And I think it's done in a beautiful way for this film. It it didn't need to be overly complicated. And Mm -hmm. I think it also speaks to how it originated as a screenplay, right? And how it was supposed to be acted out on stage. Yep. um, Totally. And all that kind of thing. Yeah, like on stage, single location, obviously being the stage, you change the sets very basically, right? But Mm basically, this movie essentially takes place, there's... I mean, yeah, it's one one main location, and then there's a few yeah. important things that happen outside of the the house that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, yeah, it's that it's it's the attic, it's the attic, and the rest of this creepy ass house they decide to move back into. But anyway, let's yeah. get into the cast. Well, yeah, so we have a few main characters here. We've got Julia, who is one of the sort of center revolving pieces here. She plays the wife. She's a peach. She is a peach. And she's the wife of Larry Cotton. Poor old Larry. He's a he's an interesting bird, that guy. And he plays a much different character than the one we saw him in X-Files. Oh, yes. Deep dive like, there. Yeah, Trivia. yeah. Yeah, super fun. Like, he's known for a lot more. And I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. But he did a really good job in that episode. And so he's kind of reprising... Uh, you know, another supernatural role, but on the other side of it, where he's just this like kind of pathetic cuckold, like I said, and doesn't really have much agency throughout the entire movie. I mean, he doesn't know he, I mean, he's not, he's, (laughs) he's got the personality of like a cuckold, but he's not actually in reality. Like he doesn't, 
he's just a he's just he's just what do you mean <laughs> so he is he's not like watching i mean he doesn't know she's cheating on him or anything oh yeah but yeah. you know he's just, just yeah he's, you know he's mean, definitely though. getting walked all over yeah that's for sure yeah yes pretty unfortunate like i said he's on to the second marriage already so not such a good situation mm. that whole first scene was so like awkward oh, when they man. like are coming into the house his old family house too which yeah. is kind of interesting if you think about that and it's just kind of saturated with their history yeah like they left new york because of the hustle bustle and they weren't happy there so we thought this would make her happy right making this change yeah and you're like what just the classic thing in in movies like this where you're like how how do you go through your day-to-day and you're still with this okay anyway i know right it's teed up perfect for a horror movie that's for sure she's miserable 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 just awful and then you get kirsty the daughter and she's grown up and everything so she has her own decisions to make and decides not to live with them which is kind of funny i thought and she for obvious reasons having to do with julia and her Mm. impossibilities to live with yeah and also we do have uh the other main character here frank who is kind of like there's skinless Frank and then the regular Frank. So there's two versions and they are played by uh, different people. Skinless Frank. Skinless Frank. <laughs> I feel like that could be like a really cool title for like, a, I'm thinking of Bob's Burgers like menu, right? You have like a hot dog place that's like, you got a the horror movie theme one. You got the Skinless Frank and it's Hellraiser, <laughs> Hellraiser got, themed. And then you got the Skin Bone from the X-Files. Bone from <laughs> Skinner. Oh man. <laughs> Great ideas. Write this down, everyone. Let's let's get a horror movie hot dog franchise going. <laughs> okay. Uh, and of course, we can't leave out the Cenobites too. So described as this like interdimensional sadomasochistic order of demons. And mm. it's like, it's pretty cool. And you've got four of them all together. The main one being Pinhead, who is this ringleader. And then we've got Chattering Cenobite, which is just disgusting. And they're all disgusting in their own way. But this one is just... <sighs> yeah, pretty gross it's yeah it's not good disturbing and i love the description of this well description the name butterball, butterball. It's like, oh man come yeah. on and then we just have one described as the female cenobite which is pretty clearly she's got some feminine characteristics i including, didn't realize that at first <laughs> including i'll say there's a very oh, yes, mm. vaginal looking opening in her neck in the neck so that's not supposed to be just there just to clarify right that. but yeah so that's that's our cast I, you know what, and and the 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 female character at Cenobite, I actually didn't clue into that on first watch of this with mm. a lot of the lines, and I found that that character had the creepiest voice because like oh, the yeah. pinhead has that deep horrifying like demon voice. It's like okay, yeah, that's scary. Chatter chatter guys just chattering. Butterball doesn't say anything, mm. and but the woman's voice is very like like this and like like a serpent almost or something. It's like very mm-hmm. spooky. Super, super Ugh. spooky. Yeah. But before we even get these creatures, though, obviously they there's a means to actually like summon them, right? So the film starts off in this foreign bazaar, I'm going to call it. That's kind of what it looks like to me, right? It's this sort it's of street a, it's shop. A, it's a sex shop. It's a sex shop <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a foreign location. And it looks, it's, I mean, Frank has gone out of his way to track down this place because essentially he's like... I mean, you use the phrase. I mean, I suck at saying it. What's the phrase? He's in. He's, he's into pleasure and pain, right? Yeah, basically. like sadomasochistic kind right. of tendencies. And from perhaps yes, or he's a sex addict. He's a sex addict. Mm-hmm. He's always looking for the next thing. Yeah. Like I don't think he's or just an addict. 
Or just an addict in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like his brother, Larry, makes the comment when they first walk into the house, like, oh, he's probably in jail somewhere or something, right? Yeah. Like implying that he wasn't just like into weird kinky sex stuff, but it was like on the lamb maybe from other things. Yeah. You know what I mean? High risk lifestyle. High risk lifestyle indeed. And he definitely kept that vibe rolling with this little uh, business transaction because he sits down with this gentleman and he's looking at what appears to be this, you know, this really strange sort of antique puzzle box, I guess, if you will, right? That's quote unquote, you know, rumored that when it's solved, we'll summon these these spirits that will bring you nothing but pleasure and ecstasy that you mm-hmm. that you can't experience in this in our worldly plane here, right? So he purchases this and there's this really weird comment that this guy makes right at the beginning. He's like, take it, it's I think, okay, I, I don't know if I have this exactly right, but he gives it, hands it to Frank and says, you know, take it. It's yours. It always was. And we can come back to that later mm-hmm. later on here. But that yeah. was that's weird. I didn't clue into that right away. And then after the fact, I was thinking, like, is this one of the Cenobites in the world here trying to lure something in? Or just, I don't even know. Like, is this guy involved somehow? He knows what's coming. It's some sort of, like, box of destiny. Right? That's- or I made the joke to you earlier. I was like, is it more like a Jumanji? And this guy's like, I just <laughs> need this thing the hell out of my house. Like, oh, yeah, take it, buddy. It's awesome. You're going to love it. It's yours. Yeah. Like, get, get it away from me as fast as possible, right? <laughs> but he takes it back, brings it up to the attic. And I believe it's the attic that we end up in, right? Because mm-hmm. that's where he disappears. So that's where he gets resummoned yep. back from. And I'm like, how hard is this thing to solve? That's my first question. Like, how long is he sitting in that attic? It didn't seem like it was that hard to solve. He's kind of messing around with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. The lights start to kind of shine in through the walls, which I thought was really cool because obviously you're in this one room in the house, but it's isolated. So that all of a sudden, all the surrounding 360 degrees of this room is now being permeated by this other dimension. So there's just this light coming from everywhere. Like the rest of that house has now ceased to be for Frank. Mm-hmm which yeah. I thought was kind of cool. He's like crossing through the threshold. And he's like all stoked. Yeah. But then I think the beginning might even be one of my favorite parts of the entire movie with the, the hooks to start flying out. Mm-hmm. And he realizes the, like the look on his face is so epic, right? It's like the classic, like, wow, I made a mistake. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, I don't want to get too, too <laughs> dark here, but it, I, I don't know if like this, it, this, you know what it reminded me of? This is going to sound kind of weird, but it reminded me of the, that face reminded me of the story from, Tiger King with the guy giving the story after the fact about the young guy shot himself and realized like, wow, I made a mistake like in that exact moment, like the Mm. look on his face. Yeah. 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 You messed up. And so that's a pretty odd way to kick things off here because then we just end up with Larry and Julia in the midst of moving into Larry's old family home. And we, like you said, there's clearly this massive disconnect between the two of them. There's the daughter, Christy, who's clearly not a big fan of Julia whatsoever, because we learn that this is, it, it's Larry's second wife, like very, very quickly, right? And that's mm-hmm. like, man, you, you settled hard on the second wife here. He must have been a, must have been yeah. a lonely guy. <laughs> but the plot thickens, the plot thickens from there. Well, it does, yeah, and it kind of, it, it's quickly explained why Julia is so distant. It's weird. It's like, okay, so you have, like, Larry, and he's totally out to lunch, and he's, you know, unpacking and helping the movers and whatever else, and you get Julia doing her first sort of, like, move of secrecy, where she goes back up to the to the top, to the attic, and she, like, kind of roots around in Frank's little, like, decrepit nest thing that he has, and it just is the classic scene of, like, you know, it it depicts 
the classic interpretation or uh, stereotype of what a drug addict lives in, right? It's just right. like this little nest on the floor, this bare floor, floorboards and nothing on the walls. And it's just, yeah, just not good at all. And she ends up seeing some really strange things. And I honestly didn't know. I didn't, this was a turn for me because I didn't really see this coming, but she finds these photographs and among all of his possessions. And it's a bunch of like, you know, him doing some pretty lewd activities with some other people, uh, multiple people in some of them. And she doesn't really have the reaction that I thought she would have. She kind of just looks at it as if like, oh, hmm. Like, oh, yeah. And then she takes one of them and it's a picture of him. And it's the only one where he's like not like sexually compromised or like naked or anything like that. Yeah. And then she rips because it's clear that he had another partner as well. And she rips her out of the photo and then takes that as like a souvenir. And I'm like, hey, what is going on here? Because like we get this whole thing with with the husband, Larry, saying all this stuff about, oh, he's in jail and blah, blah, blah. And we have no idea Julia's background or involvement in all of this. So we quickly realize that she is romantically involved with Frank and has been even since before they were married. And it's just a very, very weird scene, I'll say, you know, that where he like, quote unquote, seduces her. And yeah, it's definitely strange. It's not only cringe in the sense that it's awkward, but it's also cringe in the sense that like you really see another side of Julia that's like, you know, obviously not very favorable and paints her in a pretty negative light, I would say. And that kind of continues as a trend and kind of we see her character pretty quickly, right? Oh God, yeah. I mean I never like I didn't like her before any of that stuff no, happened when no. she first walks in. Like you don't like her from jump street. No. She's just this it, She's there t- to play a function. Yeah. And you can tell she's not just stuffy about the house, like, being old and, like, not liking it and, like, the very first introduction to her. Like, you can tell she's just reserved because she's hiding something from him. Yes. And how he's so just, like, out to lunch and just, like, not even willing to acknowledge it, I would say, to a certain degree. He's in a certain state of denial, right? Because you can't really think you're in a good relationship he's delusional he's 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 repressing it he's trying to put on the show for his daughter he's trying to make a make a a go of it in this new place and thinks that this is going to solve all his problems and he should you should stay in new york pal when he exactly when this house is going to become the center of his problems and i think honestly like yeah like the disconnect between the two of them the julia and larry is kind of what this film is relying on for some sort of element of plausibility to convince the audience that any of this is even remotely plausible Yeah, because it doesn't even like the way that this movie plays out is very odd as if like he doesn't have access to certain parts of the house or just chooses not to go to them, even though they're very closely positioned. It's a very tight knit upper stairs area. Yeah. So there's not a lot of room to hide secrets. So it's very interesting the way that plays out. And I think again, Bizarre. I think again, like now that I'm thinking about this, it kind of lends itself to its origins as a play. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, totally. Like a little bit of that suspension of disbelief. I, I think, and that's its success as a as an actual film adaptation of that. I mm-hmm. I like that. It's like this. 
it's yeah, like because we we joked about it. We're like, how in the hell did they not notice Frank, this rotting corpse, turning into a slightly <laughs> yeah. less version of that over days and murders happening? There's no police investigations. There's, there's no follow up. up. There's no stench. There's no smell. There's no questions asked whatsoever. No. And it's like, but that to me is almost like adds to the creepiness. It's almost yeah. like there was maybe some sort of an element to Frank. Obviously, there's a supernatural element to what's going on with Frank. Well, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. maybe a part of that is like, I don't know, because like Julia's tiptoeing around trying to keep this from everyone, but like everyone is so oblivious. It's almost like it's too good to be true. It's almost like mm-hmm. it's too easy that she's being able to do it this way. Yeah. You know it what is I mean? kind of strange. And if I'm not mistaken, there was that one scene where they had like a dinner party or something and she was just being... So weird. Oh, so So strange. All right, let's get into what's going on with this box, because that's definitely one of the centerpieces of this film, and it's quite fascinating. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. Do you feel there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Sometimes we need to ask for help. And these days, it's easier than ever to get started on the right track to mental well-being and happiness with BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com is an online counseling service that's there for you when you need it. You can connect with your specially matched professional counselor in a safe and private online environment within 24 hours of signing up. It's so convenient to get professional help from a licensed counselor. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions. Plus, you can chat and text with your therapist. This is not self-help or a crisis line. It's a professional service. And if you are not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. BetterHelp.com is available worldwide with 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, with four communication modes available, including text, chat, phone, and video. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. Guys, this is secure, convenient, professional, and better yet, it's truly affordable. Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL, P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com portal and simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get you matched with your own counselor. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash portal to get 10% off your first month. And we're back. All right, so what's up with this box thing anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Great segue. Right? Perfect. It is weird. It is strange, and... The fact that it's just kind of lurking in this like back alley sex shop or pl- house of pleasures or whatever you want to call it, I, I don't really understand. It's so intricate, though. It reminds me of uh, the um, Antikythera mechanism. Ooh, like, something you know, like that, yeah. It's very alluring and maybe like, you know, even the fact that it's gold is kind of like drawing the human towards it. I'm just going to go ahead yeah. and say that like <laughs> if it's bar- purchased from something that is you know you're going into a sex shop you definitely need some instructions to come with that thing because <laughs> otherwise oh you know that could get uncomfortable real fast it is a, it is a cube after all yes anyway anyways <laughs> <laughs> but what was the purpose of this puzzle then is it to 
like the man sort of alluded to, will release these or summon these pleasure gods. It just seems kind of vague. It, well, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I mean, you got to be either either he's not buying it at all, and he's just kind of like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, let me let's try this out. I don't know really know what's going to happen. It's going to release pleasures of some kind, and then he ends up summoning the Cenobites, mm. which are these things we were talking about a second ago with Pinhead and Butterball and Deep Throat, I guess, yeah. is the name of the of the female character, which is... One of the names for her. One, one of, of the names of her. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to look more into this because it's like, I, I wanted to go deeper into the background because we haven't read like the novella and, and you know, the, the canon of the Cenobites and the Clive Barker creation that is this world mm-hmm. is so bizarre, but I feel like it does play off of a lot of themes and ideas of interdimensionality and definitely like hell and different iterations of whatever that might be to certain people. So like, I just like straight looked up on, you know, the wiki fandom for these movies. Where did they come from? How did they become? And one of oh, the... Oh, you mean the Cenobites in particular? The Cenobites in particular. Oh, okay. All right. Did you want to get into that a little bit? Sure. I had a few comments just on the box itself. Oh, okay, before sure. Before we get into let's, the let's Cenobites. Do, let's do that. Because I do think that first. it's interesting just to even pause for a second, just to say like, you know, like it's described as this Chinese puzzle box. Right. All right. This movie, obviously, this was written in the 70s or 80s or whatever in that kind of time period. I'm just thinking, like, it's kind of this convenient uh, Orientalist type sort of paradigm (laughs) where it's like the other kind of like it's this this magic that comes from another realm. Sure, sure. Like, you know, like uh, philosophically and like you're saying, right, like this connotation of hell Mm -hmm. and even of pleasure in itself, because we get into some weird things with these Cenobites and their versions of pain and pleasure and how those interweave. Yeah. But I thought it was kind of like, did you have any comments on like just the fact that this is described as like a Chinese puzzle box? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it doesn't really seem to have anything Chinese about it. No, I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny, like on a couple other random blogs and just, just because there's a bajillion things written about this, this movie, some sources more reputable than others. And some said tossed out like it was a shop in Morocco I saw in one thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it was clearly like an Asian man. Very clearly. And I think that's totally the vibe aesthetically that they're going for, that it's, you got to make it look as foreign as possible. Mm -hmm. This guy has gone to the ends of the earth, Frank, to find this most crazy remote back alley shop where you can get stuff that you can't get anywhere else oh you know what it's like it's like the gremlins yep exactly like that (laughs) exactly like that this is the shop you go to to get this box you get dragon's tears there you get you can buy homunculi there right you can get all kinds of stuff like that probably and so if you think about it it's like okay culturally speaking like this idea that this was came from this far distant land or whatever and the fact that it's summoning these things like you know what i mean like how how does that really play into the epistemology of like, you know, like the other and the self? Like, you know, you can kind of dive down that rabbit hole a little right. bit, I guess. But do you the have vi- any- Well, the vibe I got was that the box, like, here's the thing. We don't know the origins of the box. Like, he's going there to get it. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that's where it's from. That's where he's picking it up from. Yeah. But you just said, like, there's no markings on it. That It's like an artifact of the earth. It's like an otherworldly object obviously right it's not like it was made by man it reminds me of something that would be like sitting hovering in like the center of the pyramid or something you know what i mean exactly it's it's got the code and all this like script across it and all this weird almost like promethean-esque type thing it's exactly like that it's like it it shouldn't really exist Mm -hmm. but it does yeah Mm -hmm. and that's just it's like what material is even made out of you know what I mean? Is it gold or is it something it else? It looks like it's this kind of, yeah, fancy gold cube, but it's uh, 
if it's, it's so a, if weird, it's an yeah. artifact of another realm like that's what yeah. makes it cool kind of reminds me of something you find in harry potter <laughs> oh yes definitely <laughs> definitely but anyways okay so the box itself is the portal essentially right. <laughs> very fitting for this podcast very fitting indeed <laughs> and it's the portal in which the the Cenobites travel to our realm, which it's, again, again, I had never really heard of these things before, like in passing through other movie reviews and just whatever. And I'm like, this, this is so cool. It's absolutely fascinating. And again, going back to what I was saying before, I was like very curious about the origin story that Barker had for these, Mm -hmm. these creatures. And so they're summoned by this box and in this one wiki fandom thing, I pulled up this thing where it's basically saying that the the story is that the Cenobites were wiped out by Lucifer when the realm of hell was destroyed. And there is this quote from one of the Cenobites when uh, uh, Kirsty is it Christy or Kirsty? Sorry, I'm forgetting Kirstia. that. Kirsty. She's in the hospital scene later, like screams, you know, go to hell. And the female deep throat character, whatever you want to call her, says like, we cannot, like we can't. Mm, yeah. And I was like, I was... My mind was reeling from that quote at that moment. I was like, what do you mean? You can't, you can't, you don't want to, you're not invited. You're not a being that is capable of transitioning to that. Would you want, like, are you implying that you want to go there? Is this some kind of of purgatory that you're in? Or do you enjoy what you're doing? You know, chosen career path, vocation of choice. Anybody read Middlemarch out there? This definitely wasn't on the list of one of the things you could become a Cenobite. That's a, that's a deep, deep, deep joke Mm -hmm. right there. But essentially, what these things are, are extra-dimensional beings who are mutilated beyond essentially being able to recognize them as human entities, even though they very are, like, human in form. But, like, the chatter guy, not very much so. Like, butterball, you know what I mean? Like They're grotesque. Grotesque, right? Mm -hmm. But it's almost like they don't know that. And there was this one quote from one uh, blog I read that was... it, it. gave me shivers up my spine where it's like mm-hmm. they were designed with the makeup and the costumes and their mannerisms to exude horror and because they are grotesque, but also like this element of like grace and elegance to them, the way they move and the way they talk and and they're mm-hmm. they're wearing almost uniforms, right? They look like butcher uniforms, like like black like leather. They're kinda like and, space uh, butcher uniforms. They're like space butcher uniforms, right? Yeah. I Hey, but it also displays an intense amount of suffering just in the imagery alone, which I think yeah. is why it was so right. disturbing to me when I was young. Right. Yeah. This is the weirdest part about the Cenobites, though. In this one wiki fandom, it talked about how they were once human, with the exception of this one particular Cenobite back in, throughout the canon or whatever. But hmm. as far as the ones we're looking at in this, so that's weird. We could talk about yeah. that later. Uh, but before we get into more details on the Cenobites, because they're kind of my favorite, let's get into some sort of like some some of the best scenes here. What, like what was your absolute favorite moment? Mm, there was a few there. I really liked the scenes where it was like anytime we saw like skinless Frank kind of like crawling all over the place <laughs> in that upstairs area. That was so creepy. Or like when he's like looking out of like the little like slats so he can like see outside or like smoke in his smoke. And it's just like, oh, so creepy. But probably I don't know. I really did enjoy the very horrendous acting job that Julia does in that first kill scene Bad. where it's just like, it's so like Julia as a character, not like the 
not like the actress playing Julia, but just like her acting yeah. as Julia trying to so seduce, quote unquote. And this guy is just so dumb. It's just like, oh my Lord. And it was interesting because like there was a lot of, like I said, censorship that went on in this film. And the scene did have some editing back, especially of like close ups uh, when the hammer was like in the victim's head and all this kind of thing. And they had to like kind of like, yeah, the gore, they had to tame it down a little bit, a little bit. But I thought that was pretty funny, though. It was just like, yeah. And then what do you do with these bodies? Like, just the way that she had to just become his slave, like his indentured. Wouldn't your first reaction just to be like, get this thing the hell out of my house? Right. Why do I, why do I even want to be with this thing? Because it's just disgusting. It's not even the, the man, if you want to call him a man, that you, like, were seduced by originally. Right. He's just like a... But that's just it. She's so broken. She's just trying, she's pining for that one feeling she had from way back in the day and is, I guess, clearly willing to do anything to get that sensation back again. Yeah, but I guess, yeah. Let's come back to this again because she starts, she's, so, so she starts murdering dudes to help Frank regenerate. He's sucking the juices, mm-hmm. like, which is absolutely bizarre. It's so weird. And the way he's summoned back in the first place, we, we haven't really touched on that, but that is so strange because it, it does tie into the box, mm-hmm. what the box actually is. Frank opens up the dimension in the first scene. He's hooked. He's ripped apart. The Cenobites are looking at his like ripped apart flesh in that first scene, right? He picks up like his face or what's left of it. Yeah. And then it kind of transitions from there. So we're left to think like, okay, Frank's gone or he's going to be in a loop of this perpetual like agony, right? Mm-hmm. Then... We get the injury to Larry when they're moving the mattress up the stairs, and it's yeah. his blood that ends up bringing Frank back. He drips mm-hmm. it on the floor when he That's walks, an important scene. Yeah, walks into the that. room there. Is it his familial blood that helps bring Frank back, or is it just any blood? Because just any. maybe just familial blood would help boost it because, I don't know, like well, it doesn't help have rejuvenate to be him. him. And Julia uh, goes to bat for him initially. That's she's true. like, not, that's true. not Larry. To, to Frank and right. then she's and then in the end she's like well well I'm sure she would have said gung she would have been gung ho if it wasn't for the daughter yeah she would have been hell yeah because that's, that's the only thing holding her back mm-hmm. essentially yeah. right yeah. but that's what's strange because he, Frank comes back from this dripping of blood and he comes back with the box he's like he, he's not fully formed because he'd only had the little bit of blood to like rejuvenate him back but he's back he comes back into our world the re, the human world with the device and like that's really weird Mm. so it's like was this just sitting on a shelf in the cenobites like torture office when they were like having a break and he managed to swipe it and then some blood dripped through from another dimension and he's just it was like perfect timing and then you could just crawl back through well it could just have to be like that is the portal itself so in opening it back up through the blood it kind of like you know comes back through with Frank. It is kind of right. weird though because you're touching on something where it seems as if the house itself has an energy and has a power and perhaps it is because of the initial opening with the box and where it was and yeah. how that room itself seemed to almost become one with the other dimension, you know what I mean, where it was right. kind of like this merging going on. So when we see the blood initially dripping through the cracks in like the floorboards and going into the inner layers and the subfloor, that's where we see this house kind of come to life. And then true, he almost kind of true. like transitions out of it. It's almost like he's like a tree that grows out of the floor. <laughs> right, yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And then he ends up separating himself from that. 
And every, I liked how they did like portrayed all of the bodies and how every stage of what he takes from each victim, that's all that's gone from them too. So in the end with the final victim or not the final, final victim, but Larry, when he ends up getting sacrificed, poor Larry, poor Larry, she's just a little too late. His daughter, yeah, (laughs) oh, Kirsty, but it's just the skin of him that's gone. And that's why initially she can't tell whether it's Frank or her dad, because of the fact that it's gone. So it's just like right. hard to see who's, uh, yeah. who it is. Horrifying. Uh, Horrible yeesh. stuff. Reminds me of that chimpanzee attack victim we were just watching. Oh my God. Monster quest people. Yeah. That was, uh, that was one we hadn't brutal. seen before. Yeah. Super brutal. So going back to the house, like you said, it does seem to be this portal, this crossing over point, because this is where Frank accessed the, th- that dimension where he opened the box, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We don't get anything else. Other than, like, with the box, I mean, other than, you know, we get Julie at the bar trying to pick up victims and, and a few other little scenes outside of the house. But the most profound, in my opinion, is when Christy figures figures all this out, right? She's she's suspicious. She follows Julia back to the house. She sees her, her luring one of the victims in right. uh, and goes in to confront her, essentially, and then realizes all of what's happening. Like, mm-hmm. discovers Frank in the attic and yeah. super creepy, right? He, like, oh. says, it's Uncle Frank, like, come to daddy. Like, Ew. so, so creepy. I wonder if that was an ad-lib line. That, I wonder, there's because there's a few, and one really iconic one we'll get to. But, like, elements like that are what really define it from the Jason, Freddy's and Jason's and, and those types of like horror franchises. Ugh, it's like yeah. there is this very dirty, yeah. grimy, seedy underbelly of, of creep society. Factor. Yeah, creep factor for sure. Where it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little less uh, t- topical. It just it it, adds it, to the gore. I understand you why my I mean? mom never let me watch this movie when yeah, I was young. Totally. Among many other movies. Like <laughs> just as a contrast, like uh, The Thing another 80s movie crazy like gory mm-hmm. but because you don't have that sort of like element to it that context it's it's more it's you know it's the sci-fi alien vibe to yeah. it it's it's not as like scary to me you know what i mean it's not as like Ugh. it doesn't it's it doesn't it's not as cringe worthy right like it doesn't make you cringe it doesn't have that gross factor right in a different sense of the word and i guess that's just clive's style like he didn't really do too much of that in nightbreed that i remember but i feel like we've never actually sat down to watch like the whole like candy man series i feel like that might be a little bit like that too but who knows we have True. to yeah, we should ask uh, if anyone listening here, if, yeah. if you guys have heard of that, if you'd recommend it. Absolutely. Um, and it, or if you wouldn't, let us know. <laughs> or if you wouldn't. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Either way. But they go through this confrontation. So like Christy goes up to the attic, realizes that it's Frank, re- realizes that the box is important. I think she grabs it right from him, doesn't doesn't she? Or does I, it fall somehow, and she goes and gets it? And then yeah, she somehow gets she hucks it out it. the window yeah. to keep him from getting it. And he can't like leave the attic. Like that's the thing. You mentioned that earlier. He seemingly can't leave because no. she hucks it out the can't window and he's won't. like, no, it's like, dude, go and get it. What are you doing? Yeah. If you really want it that bad. Mm-hmm. She runs out and ends up fainting mm-hmm. and someone helps her because she wakes up at the hospital. This is the only other part where we really get like a significant scene outside of the house where, because she's once again opened the portal. So she right. wakes up and that box is like right there, which again is like, it's so it's weird. It just perfect. And yeah. like, it's like, it's just all falls into place so perfectly right Mm -hmm. you know she wants to call her father but this doctor like insists she gets back into bed and then she gets up and starts messing around with the puzzle box and is unable to get out of the hospital room the door is shut and of course she ends up summoning all three of these main 
or the the four, I guess. Am I miscut? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the four mm-hmm. Cenobite creatures, and we get some of these epic quotes, like the pinhead, the box you opened it, we came. Like, <laughs> awesome, super mm-hmm. epic. Uh, you know, she's and and obviously she's trying to get out of it, saying that Frank's still alive. Right. My yeah. God. <laughs> so she just offers him up as her own sacrifice. Obviously, who wouldn't? You know, like I actually quite like that about her character, just because she doesn't she has more agency than her father you respect her more you like her a hell of a lot more you want her to survive the whole time which is definitely lends credibility to the plot yeah and absolutely like what did you make of her and like how she chooses to go about her role and her decisions in that movie well they're teeing her up i mean we got to watch the just so everyone knows we've only started with the part one Mm -hmm. but yeah ton of agency because i think they're 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 teeing her up for the part two and they needed they needed that character to battle mm-hmm. against the Julia and to be you knew Larry didn't stand out hope and hell from Jump Street right no. he didn't stand a chance <laughs> unfortunately uh, mm-hmm. and and I'm surprised her boyfriend if you want to call him that actually managed to yeah. sort of like Steve to slip through too because this was the other thing that happens in this scene that I thought was really interesting she opens it up and ends up running away from like this crazy slug cenobite creature that's like chasing her down the uh, not the chatterbox one the it's like a totally different one it's not one of the main four. It's like a, just a straight, weird, crazy, massive oh. slug creature. That's one of the ones that almost gets them in the end, too, because she's like trying to close right, the box okay. and her boyfriend reaches over to like grab it. it and she's like, no. Eh? no, it wasn't Butterball. It was the and that's just it. It's like there's other creatures in this realm, too. It's like, was this a totally different dimension or is this like just, you know, Cenobites are dealing with some other stuff where they're from, too. They got their pleasure and pain torture factory, mm-hmm. but they can also mosey down the street and there's some other guys living down there you know what i'm saying i don't know the other weird thing about one of the quotes in this hospital scene is the line from the from the main guy from pinhead that is you know we are demons to some angels to others and it's really taking this you know hard line stance in this first movie that from what we've read starts to slowly change so we'll get into that if we do other future film fridays but that it's very ambiguous they're not outright evil they're not outright mm-hmm. here to torture you. It's all wow. very, it's to them, they don't really know what, they, they do know what is what, but I guess like empathy doesn't exist. They're yeah. not, it's not about like just a demon that knows that it's like doing something dark and terrible. It's like, this is just what they do. True. And it's almost as if they just don't have the same binaries that we do. Exactly. Pleasure, pain, good, evil, all that kind of thing where they're just doing them, but. I, I thought it was very weird, this lack of differentiation between pleasure and pain and the idea, he even says in the hospital, he's like, that would be a waste of good suffering. Right. And it's like a good suffering that is obviously kind of a oxymoron yeah. for us. Right. So it's just, it is kind of interesting how the parameters are of perception are so different for them. Totally. You know mm-hmm. what else is interesting based on that quote? The actual term Cenobite is derived from the meaning of essentially like a member of a communal religious order, right? This is what this, so, so that's what they, that's what they do. It's like suffering is such a big part of making sacrifices in religion and things like that too. This is what they are called. They, you know what I mean? Just as far as breaking down the semantics of that. Yeah. That's pretty funny. eh? It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's like this weird antithesis of it, but like, uh, right. yeah, no, that's, that's weird. And, and, and like I said, despite the presence of the word hell, like it's called hell razor, there is no specific iconography or reference directly linking the Cenobites to this traditional, you know, quote unquote, sort of like 
Abrahamic or like classic iteration of like hell and demonic nature, mm-hmm. like the nun in like that other horror movie we just recently watched and things like that. They're sort sort of more like these just bizarre, omnipotent things in this other realm. So it's it, it turns more hellish as we go, and I guess the that hmm. and the the title Hellraiser just goes to show like it's yeah it's based on what we see like we would see that as nothing but hell true yeah that's actually a <laughs> hell racer it's almost like it's kind of funny that it is a box too because it does remind me of like pandora's box if you want to go there mm, yeah. the idea that you're just unleashing like a world of just crazy kind of thing it doesn't know up from down or left from right or whatever it's just kind of is what it is and you're kind of unleashing a tornado of it and pandora's box so perfect that's a perfect yeah. segue because this puzzle box its name which we forgot to mention earlier on there was the no, lament configuration oh yeah right we totally forgot to mention that but it's just yeah like this idea like yeah up. lament yeah <laughs> like you lament uh, opening it <laughs> i certainly would <laughs> that's how i'm pronouncing it because i sure as hell would pun yeah. intended <laughs> Lament configuration. Yeah, and that'll come into play again because obviously there's a lot more movies in this franchise. Yeah. We've got to get our hands on. Indeed. Uh, let's get into some fun facts before we wrap this baby up here because this is funny. Like I said, there was a lot of uh, censorship and the film initially was given an X rating. So there was a lot of scenes that had to be cut. So let's get into a couple here. It's interesting. Like I already mentioned the one that was these, uh, the first hammer murder scene. Um, so yeah, they had to take out this close up shot of the hammer lodged in the victim's head. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of funny. A lot of the scenes where Julia murdered people, there was a little bit of things they had to dial back. Um, including this one, which again, kind of lends to the racy element of this film, if you want to call it that. But the second, uh, I think it was the second victim, uh, Julia, (laughs) she's murdering him, but the actor that was playing this dude getting murdered, um, thought it was more natural for him to do it while being naked. He thought it would get to the point in the seduction scene where he would actually have his clothes off. So he actually did do it that way. However, that was rejected by the censorship board, so sure. they had to do, like, a semi-clothed uh, version of it. Sure. <laughs> As well, there was this close-up of Kirsty like, sticking her hand into Frank's stomach, like, rummaging around and exposing oh, his guts and stuff. I know, I know. So that was cut as well. Hmm. And there was a longer version of the final scene uh, where Frank ends up getting ripped apart by hooks again. And <laughs> including, this is kind of sad, there's a final shot where his head explodes and his brain messily splashes out. And that was unfortunately cut. And you know what's weird? I see a lot of the horror from this movie as being less graphic than like the example I gave earlier with The Thing. I think it's a lot of like the sexual overtones and context, the religious mm-hmm. vibes and things like that, that like censorship boards in, in, in the eighties would have been like yeah. acutely like in tune with because yeah. the like, sexuality for sure. Because I, be don't you think that thing was gorier a little bit in some ways you might say like the amalgamation, yeah. like when they show up and it, that like they go outside in the mm-hmm. snow and there's like that mass, like all together yeah, and it's that's like weird. all disgusting and crazy, creepy and weird. So you alien. know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you, but I, yeah, it's funny too, actually that you mentioned the whole, like the sexual aspect because I forgot to mention there was one other scene where the initial seduction of uh, Julia and Frank, he, 
<laughs> According to Clive Barker, he in that scene initially had it a lot more graphic, where there was also some spanking involved. So there's a little la bit of that la. sadomasochistic tendencies kind of shining sure, through again. Sure. And so he had to cut that, and then he could only he was only allowed two vigorous thrusts. Two vigorous and thrusts. And the third one was apparently cut. <laughs> it was too much. <laughs> the third thrust just didn't, no, wasn't, wasn't, uh, didn't yeah. make it. But even that scene alone was just pretty, again, pretty racy, pretty like, you know, just mm. like kind of raw, mm. but you know what? It, it just was the style of the movie. And I think it does speak to one of the major themes of this movie, which is, has to do with infidelity yep. and the idea of like what happens to your character when you kind of go down that road. And we see a very ugly side of a person in Julia because of who she's become, she's the compromised woman. You don't see her smile once in this whole movie. She's Not just, a single time. She's afraid. Uh, she is unhappy. And she's, you know what I mean? Like, almost like pining. Yeah. Weirdly. And I think it's because she looks at herself and sees a fallen woman. Yeah. Because she obviously cheated on her husband, Larry, even before they were married. So entered into that sort of contractual relationship already on uneven terms and it, they were so dishonest and terms. they were so on the nose with that too right like you made that point we were watching it's like right on top of the wedding dress yeah. like they're they're yeah. hooking up right on top of the wedding dress it's like <laughs> right on top. Couldn't, couldn't even be more <laughs> on the nose than that but anyway you added in this really interesting quote here did you want to read this this was from clive barker himself yeah okay so this was interesting and he was talking about how he wanted to kind of depict the monstrous condition, I'll say, and especially within Frank himself. So he said here, generally, this is a quote, uh, generally in monster movies, the monsters don't talk about their condition, about being a monster. What I wanted Frank to be able to do was to have dialogue scenes, even romantic scenes that play between him and Julia. I wanted Frank to be able to stand around and talk about his ambitions and desires because I think that is what monsters, sorry, because I think what the monsters in movies have to say for themselves is every bit as interesting as what the human beings have to say. That's why in stock and slash films, I feel half the story is missing. These creatures simply become, in a very boring way, abstractions of evil. Evil is never abstract. It is always concrete, always particular, and always vested in individuals. To deny the creatures as individuals the right to speak, to actually state their case, is perverse. Because I wanted to hear the devil speak. I think that's a British attitude. I like the idea that a point of view can be made by the dark side, end quote. Yeah, and I, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And it is so... It is, it, he's, he is so right because like we're watching those early versions of Friday the 13th through Halloween here. It's so much fun. No knock on them at all. They are a totally different thing. Yeah. But what they, but he, but yeah, it, there is an element missing. It is just mm-hmm. this, I'm scared because it's, it's the gore. It's a little bit of the jump out at you scares, but the actual yeah. meaning behind it isn't there. You can fill well, in the blanks a little bit Mad Lib style. Oh, yeah. what happened with Jason or why is he whatever? Or is, Ms., mm-hmm. you know, what did Mrs. Voorhees do to him really or whatever? I don't even know. You never but hear from him really though. You never hear from him. And no. y- same within Halloween, especially Michael Myers and that whole thing. The thing with Michael is like, it almost becomes comical movie after movie after movie where this guy just keeps coming back. He's just, he's larger than life, but he isn't larger than life because there's there isn't anything supernatural about him, so to speak, unless yeah. well, someone can argue me on that. But yeah, you're missing. And that's why 
when you get the Rob Zombie version of Halloween, it's like I was saying to you the other day, it's like this, it's the fan fiction masterpiece of what every fan in that original series wanted because you get to see a human side to Michael and you get to see the origins that you don't get. All you get is allusions and references to it in the original um, series. Right. But this the other difference, yeah. the other difference anyway, too. Sorry. though. No, no, that's no, that's that's a great comparison. The other difference too, I guess, I was trying to get at there is like the idea that the Cenobites, like the pin- Pinhead and the Cenobites, what they do is so specific. So like, like that's what he says in here. You know what I mean? Like, and they and they verbalize that. This mm-hmm. is what we do: angels to some, demons to others, yeah. and then we can fill in the mat the the blanks of like what we think that means, and that's what terrifies me. That's where the mm-hmm. fear is. It's almost like in the dialogue of of that line and like those types of lines coming from the monster. That's the equivalent to me of like, say, going back to one of our, our very first ever film Friday on The Witch, where there's all the, the implications, the implied horror in the darkness, in the shadows, things like that. Yeah. That's kind of like what the lines like that are to me because mm-hmm. it makes me think. I'm like, but we don't get any specifics. We don't really get specifics from them. They're just like, well, we're about to show you our pleasures. It's like what he says to Kirsty. It's like, okay, buddy, I don't know what that means, but that's horrifying. I have no idea. You know what pleasures you're getting from, from Jason. He's going to stab you or True. chop your head off or whatever. Or sink you in the lake. Sink you in the lake. So you know what, though? On that note and all these comparisons, like this is now one of my favorite Halloween movies. And we need to mm-hmm. continue on with or the franchise. Scary movies in general. I'd, I'd call it. I mean, we watched it near Halloween, so I'm I'm calling it that. Wow. And it, it's up there. It's every year you see that movie poster all in line with, with the, again, yeah, mm-hmm. the hockey mask, the creepy Michael Myers mask, the uh, the scream mask. Pinhead's up there. Yep. He's one of the underdogs. He's I'm on the bench. He's sixth man of the year. I have another actually fun, interesting fact. Uh, so that guy that played Pinhead, he was actually the original cast member that did the play version. And when he was recast, him and another f- fellow, I think, were both cast together. And they were both fighting over playing Pinhead because neither of them wanted to do it simply because of the amount of makeup effort that one. It was like six hours worth of makeup. Yeah. And well, on top of that, they were actually a little bit vain, I would say, maybe. But they just like, it was their first on-screen role and they were like kind of bummed out that they didn't actually have their faces showing so to speak so they're kind of like well do i even really want to take this but i'm probably thinking now they're happy they did yeah i'd (laughs) say and your face is showing it's like it's not a mask it's like ralph fines being mad about playing voldemort because it's all like you know like these days it's even more messed up right because you have like special effects and all this sort of stuff that's beyond makeup yeah but anyway that's a whole nother nugget (laughs) we've now mentioned halloween friday the 13th harry potter uh I, I'm the sure there, the witch. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few others throughout this episode here. But ultimately, you guys, we want to know if you've seen this Gremlins. Ser- Gremlins. That was <laughs> totally. It, we want to know what you think if you've seen this entire ten movie canon of of Hellraiser here. If you've made it all the way to the end, that's cool. You can fill in the blanks because we're we're newbies if we've missed anything. Mm-hmm. But we really enjoyed this. It this is the kind of darkness that we love on into the portal because it's very interdimensional. True. Literally. Mm-hmm. So comment on our social media on what you guys think. Like hit us up yeah. on Facebook at Into the Portal Podcast. Same on Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast. Mm-hmm. Make sure to leave us that five-star review, uh, rating and review on iTunes or whatever, wherever you guys are listening to the show. Mm-hmm. We really, really appreciate that. Anything yeah. you have to say? Well, um, 
awesome. <laughs> Shout out to our patrons over in the Patreon uh, community. You guys got an episode coming your way real soon. Yes. Um, another, I guess it's just a quick thank you. We actually went ahead and bought some new equipment for our little recording studio. So we have these adorable little new stands to put our mics on, which yeah, is a new lot mic more stands. portable. And uh, we actually got some new cables too. We needed it really so, badly. So thank you thank guys. You guys. We really, you know, you just keep the lights on around here like we yeah. always say. So it's true. It's really true. It literally, no, it, it really, really is. We always yeah. appreciate it so much. Yeah. And if you guys haven't checked us out, hit us up on, on uh, Patreon. Just click the link in the show notes below and you can uh, you can see us over there. And uh, yeah, we look forward to, uh, to coming back at you with another episode in a little bit here. But until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.